is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over the last 50 years or so. In each program, we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country to get their unique perspective on these matters and how they have affected their life, their work and their business. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. Today, we will be speaking with a businessman and executive with a professional career stretching back to the 1990s. His name is Miguel Correa. Miguel is an economist by training and comes from the Azores, the Portuguese archipelago, situated about 1,500 kilometers west of Lisbon in the mid-Atlantic. Miguel was Secretary of Health for the Government of the Azores from 2008 to 2012 and Managing Director of the Port Company of the Azores between 2013 and 2016. Today, he is both managing partner at the Icon Group and director of consulting at Connexol. Icon is a business that leverages the analysis of data collected by satellite and land-based sensors to optimize the performance across multiple sectors, such as agriculture, infrastructure, and environmental control. Connexol is a platform that provides interoperability of systems for healthcare centers, integrating people, systems, tasks, and devices to deliver better patient outcomes. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Miguel Correa. Welcome, Miguel, and thank you very much for being here with us today. How are you today? I'm fine, Patrick. Thank you very much for the opportunity of being here. You're very welcome. So just to kick off, could you tell us a little bit about the trajectory of your career from the start to, to more or less these days? I started, well, it's a, it's a common, you know, it's a common background. You go to college and you have a degree in this case is economics. So I graduated in 94, 95. And then I started to look for a job in Lisbon because I'm from the Azores originally. And I wanted to stay there and gain experience working in a bigger city. So, um, but at that, that time, I didn't have much of a motivation to get a job because I was, you know, my father was helping me with everything. So, mm-hmm. I had a group of friends and we all wanted to explore, uh, continue to explore the clubs and the nightlife in Lisbon <laughs> and all that sort of, non- do, do, not doing much. Uh, but then I had an ultimatum from my father that said if I didn't get a job by Christmas, I would stay. And that really st- made me stop and, and made me think of a strategy because I wanted to stay in Lisbon. So... Besides answering to some job ads, I had to think of another strategy. I started to deliver my CVs in persons. I did a list of the, all the companies I wanted to work on. They were mainly advertising companies and two publishing houses. So when I was back for, for Christmas, I had two job offers already. One from the traditional way of answering ads and the other one from just delivering my, my CV. The one that I, that I had chosen, the one that I had, had sent the CV, which uh, was a publishing house. And um, a few months later, I was already managing. The, um, I was director of the financial department of that publishing house. And that maintained, I maintained that job for four years till I came back to the Azores. Uh, when I came back to the Azores, I was hoping to get, um, you know, more quality of life. Um, we were thinking about uh, having a family, all that together, the support of parents, and less stress. 
the stress level, it's, it grew here in the Azores because it doesn't matter really where you live uh, as long as you have activities that keep pushing you to mm-hmm. and keep demanding your, um, your, your, your performance. And that's really what happened here. I, I started to work on the, um, on the construction engineering and construction uh, sector, and I maintained that for a while. Then it came to the crisis. The crisis came to the to Portugal and to that sector in particular, uh, and so I start. I I took another job as managing uh, managing a public company that was uh, planning all the financial strategy for the hospitals and healthcare units uh, in the Azores. I did that for a year and a half, and. Happily after that, right after I was invited to be part of the government, which I accepted. And I was in the government for uh, four years. The, uh, regional, the regional autonomous government of the Azores, is that right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, because okay. we're an autonomous region, so we have our own government. Uh, and so I was the Secretary of Health uh, for those four years. Uh, it was very challenging, but very rewarding. So well. you weren't you, you weren't a, you weren't a party politician. Rather, you were a, a a private expert, if you like, who was brought into a, a role in the government. Is that correct? An executive role. I was already working for a public company, and uh, but that's correct. I'm independent, so I don't belong to a political party. I never did. Um, I was invited, and of course, I accepted immediately because I really wanted to change. Something I had, uh, you know, you cannot always, you cannot be on the, um, you cannot be not criticizing, but saying uh, this should be done like this and not not like that. And you, when finally you have the chance of making that, you can turn, you cannot turn your back. So you have to step. Forward. And how did you, how did you find a contrasting experience of working in in government and in the public sector as opposed to working in the private sector? It was really different. One of the main thing. It, there are two levels here. One is the political role, the, polit- the, the political um, noise, if you, if you want, that comes with the job because mm-hmm. the opposition is always trying to, to say that something is not very well here, we have a problem there, and that takes a lot of time of you daily, on a daily basis, to answer that and clarify that. Uh, and the other, the other thing new is that... Um, and um, how do you say the administrative structure of the, the bodies of the, the, the government are pretty stiff, at least in Portugal. So you mm-hmm. have a lot of bureaucracy, have, the process are long. It requires uh, a lot of um, authorizations. So it delays any decision that you make will be delayed by this aspect only so that um that was really two different things than than the private the political the political one was more like an adrenaline rush because i was not used to that it made me remind some old times um uh, of my youth uh when you really are in an adrenaline rush you know on a daily basis uh <laughs> trying to keep up with everything uh, which was good. Which was good while I was living it. Uh, yeah. When it you can stopped. you can you can become addicted to that, right? Of course, yes. And I think I am a little bit. Uh, but uh, once uh, once that stopped, um, I realized that it was not. It was too much. You know, yeah. 
then, then I you, felt like a relief I wasn't expecting. I felt yeah, like okay. a relief, and I said, "Wow, something I need to stop now." And then later, you spent some time in Canada, isn't that right? Yeah, I did. Not right after, because right after uh, the government, I was invited and I accepted to be on the board of the Ports of the Azores. Okay. And that's how we met, actually. That's right. Yeah, we met uh, in, in Gijón, in, in, Gijón, northern, in, in Gijón. northern Spain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and that was really, really good. It was a really um, different sector with its own challenges. And, uh, and then I accepted another, another proposal to work abroad. On a on a company that develops uh, developed a software which is Connexol that uh, is connecting everything inside a hospital and really mm -hmm. streamlining the processes and bringing only critical alerts to to the healthcare professionals. And so, the Connexol was it, that was in Canada, was it? Yes, it's quartered yeah. in Canada. And, and I, how, and lo I how long how long how long were you in Canada? I wasn't I was in Canada for a year and a half. Okay. And, and then I can, uh, I can hear I can hear it in your English. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's just that North American thing in your English. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's because I was in Canada, of course, and we had a lot of Americans working with us as well yeah. because we had another another office in in the U.S. So the proximity was, um, yeah, there was that proximity, and that's why because my English was different. I think my English was more I don't know more like Spanish Portuguese accent. And now uh, it's still is, it's, still is, it's a mixture of both. It's quite, it's quite, uh, it's quite North American, actually. Yeah, to to my to my Irish ears. Yeah, and now and now your activities, you, you still have this connection with Connexol, and then you have this other activity with the Icon Group, which I understand is um, satellite monitoring of different aspects of utilities and so on. You might explain a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that's Icon Group is a project that I started. Uh, once I uh, arrived in the Azores two years ago. And basically what we're doing there, uh, we're using all sorts of data uh, and providing customers with uh, relevant data for their decisions. Uh, we are specializing in satellite data uh, because we live here in the Azores. And um, and if if data is already there, and Copernicus is a great a great initiative from the EU. The, mm -hmm. da the data is already there. Uh, it's just a matter of analyzing those data and transform that into information and provide that to the customers. So that's one of our focus. The other focus is whenever this is not possible through the sensors that are on the satellites, what we do is we install sensors in situ, in, in infrastructures mm -hmm. or wherever, wherever they're needed in order to provide the data. And in the in the green economy of the future, do you see this um, collection, uh, sensor collection, and data analytics as having a, an important role to play in the in the future? What do you see as as the potential there? I think that uh, climate change is really challenging and demands, you know, demands that we focus really on the environment and on the long run, sustainable. That's I think what is called green economy, you know, an economy that is that is looking after the environment and our, the sustainability of the, uh, of the world and of mankind in the future. Um, I see that a, a lot of opportunities because we need to monitor what's going on um, with lakes, with quality of water, with quantity of water, 
that's basically what we've been focusing on. On, for example, in Icon Group, we've been very focused on quality of water and amounts amounts of water. Um, trying to predict and to build models that that will give you uh, give the customers um, an estimate and a prediction of water in the future. So there is a lot of a lot of opportunities even here in the Azores, where our biggest asset is nature. And this is what we've been selling. Let us just say that for tourism, for tourists uh, to visit us and have contact with um, have contact with uh, with nature. Um, it's still it, it's it needs to be monitored. These two activities yeah. because we cannot jeopardize the, our biggest asset, which is our environment. So we need to put sensors or whatever it need, it takes. To, to drive data and to make the most wise decision in terms of number of tourists, number of visitors that are allowed in a specific area that is protected. And that's why also we have a project within Nikon Group to develop a, magnet, a magnometer sensor um, for traffic uh, applications and for parking applications as well in uh, protected areas. Talking of the, the Azores, uh, which is part of Portugal, but the distance is, is incredible. So the Azores is like 1,500 kilometers west of, of Lisbon. So, so what are they like in terms of the climate and the economy and the culture there? And, and when were they actually discovered? Because they're so far away from the continent. Um, and what's their current status in Portugal? I think you mentioned already they're an autonomous region, right? There are two autonomous regions in Portugal. One is the Azores, the other one is Madeira. We have our own bodies of government, um, which are re- it's a regional government. The government has delegated in this government, or the constitution has delegated in this uh, autonomous government, the power to legislate uh, and regulate specific matters. Um, but not all, of course. That would be another country. So we are an autonomous region within Portugal. Um, and uh, the users were discovered in uh, 1427. Um, so a long time ago when they were very important uh, for the globalization because all the ships that would come from India would stop here okay. in the Azores and then went to Europe and Brazil as well. So they would all stop here. And, and another thing is that I think it's really great to live here is that because we have daily flights to the mainland, weekly flights to London, uh, weekly flights to Boston, to Toronto, to Auckland in California. So you're pretty mobile staying here. And what kind of climate is it? Is it a subtropical climate or how would you describe it? Um, it's, it's like a mid-Atlantic climate. Okay. Uh, I think it's uh, warmer than Ireland. Yes, it's like a, <laughs> we'll think so. <laughs> but it's very similar, you know. You look at yeah. the green of the pasture. You know, it's quite rainy. It rains quite a lot, yeah. No, it doesn't rain that much. Uh, okay. It rains. It has. We have some rain, of course, during winter time, and some winters are very rainy. Others are not. It depends. Uh, but um, we are. You have to visit for yourself. Yeah, I do. Visit. Yeah. When, when, we're, when we're allowed to travel again, maybe. I yeah. <laughs> so you, you are actually, we're talking about the regional um, autonomous government. So you um, were the regional secretary in the, in the regional government uh, for, for health uh, between 2008 and 2014. 
Um, but you weren't you, you weren't a, you weren't a party politician, isn't that right? You were you were independent. Yeah, I was independent. Exactly. I was invited to be part of the government, and I happily accepted. So okay. I was working uh, at a at a public company that was doing the financial and uh, strategy for the um, for the the healthcare uh, infrastructures, like mm-hmm. hospitals and uh, health units, primary care centers, all that. Um, and then I was invited to be part of the of the government, and I was delighted, promptly accepted. Yes, yeah, so you did. Uh, you did your region some service, as we would say uh, here in, in in English. That's exactly so, how, how, I, how I felt. Yeah. <laughs> you so, have to do your part. You have to do your. Yeah, yeah, you and, and, I, and I think that that's happening again now. You see a lot of people doing uh, a lot, displaying a lot of solidarity at the moment in in different ways to help out their countries and to help out everybody else as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to analyze our lives after this. We see what change, what changes will be transient, and what changes will be permanent. Exactly. I don't know the answer to that, but I think one of one of the things that I that I see is that many things that we uh, were used to do, or public services that were used to do this uh, meetings present present. Um, how do you say in person? Yes. I think most of them will think twice before going to meetings in person. And whenever you can save some money to the taxpayers, I think you'll be you'll be better off at your own office and be on a Zoom session and get things done without traveling. Exactly, exactly. Save time, so save I, money. I think, I think that's obvious. That's yeah. one obvious thing. And save the environment. Save the environment as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and maybe just change direction slightly. Over the last uh, thirty or forty years, we've seen this huge growth in uh, international economic uh, globalization um, and we see lately um, things that maybe are pushing back against that you know like we've seen brexit in this part of the world we've seen trade wars we've seen economic protectionism and so on and then we have the effect of this coronavirus that we don't know how that will affect uh, globalization so what, what's your own view your own perspective on globalization economic globalization is it a positive thing a negative thing where do you think it's heading right now? Where is it going? I think it's positive, of course. Uh, I think overall, we're all, all better with globalization, all the countries. And even the countries that are buying most of the products and services to other countries will be better off in the longer run than in the short run. Of course, if you have huge unemployment growing in your own economy, you might be tempted to have a political speech of protective protectionism and try to protect some jobs here. But in the long run, that would be the, the wrong decision for your own country, for your own economy, because you will, be, you will be weaker than your competitors, than all the other countries that didn't close their frontiers. What you need to invest is you need to requalify people, people that are no longer needed in some of jobs. They need to be requalified to do other, other activities other professions and whenever people are too old or they cannot do that all the state the state has to 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 legislate and and to create mechanisms of social protection 
Mm-hmm. I think that's that's what we that's what we need to do because I'm I'm 100% in favor of globalization. Yeah, well, well, I guess one of the things that's been coming up recently is this whole question of um, well, it's been illustrated by say personal protective equipment called PPE. So when the when the crisis hit, everybody needs this stuff, and where is it? It's all in China. Um, so h- how do you think this crisis? Um, might affect thinking with regard to economic globalization and where things are made and where things are located. And I guess PPE is just one example, but you know there may be others. Do you think it will change things? No, I think I think it will change things on the national budget uh, decision. Or uh, I mean, is it worth for Portugal or for uh, Ireland, for instance, to invest in the production of APIs? PPE. PPEs. Yeah. Is it is it viable? Is it a, a great activity to be in? No, probably not. Our mistake is that we didn't have PPEs in stock prepared for this situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what is going to happen. I think I think politicians and the states have to uh, after this they have to decide what do they need to to have as a minimum always in the country for mm-hmm the population and not just invest and try and invest in protectionism and grow an industry that is not going to be competitive. Yeah. That's so my, mo- yeah. More, more sophisticated thinking on the lines of having strategic inventories of certain items and more realistic disaster planning, perhaps. Exactly. Exactly. Good yeah. word better. <laughs> and do you see, um, you know, I, I know you're in this area of uh, data analytics and data collection and so on, and I guess that's related to artificial intelligence, which uses that data uh, to develop insights. So do you see artificial intelligence having a role to play in the fighting these kind of uh, pandemics and, and epidemics that we're experiencing at the moment? I think artificial intelligence or data analytics or whatever we need to do in terms of analyzing the data, um, it's going to be very helpful uh, as long as we have uh, we have the data. We have, you know, or mobile data or the tests that are overspread to the population. As long as you have all, da- all that data, artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to be crucial as any other process. So mm-hmm. I think we have to, as um, maybe public health needs to, uh, needs to be more aware of all those technology of this technology and, and all these processes. And integrate that into the into their processes. Yeah, I, I guess I read an article on this recently that a lot of this, um, uh, the ability to use this data in terms of the the processes and the software. And the uh, the expertise is there, but it just hasn't yet been integrated, particularly at a, at, a, at a state level into the into the public sectors, and that's all. That that would be, I think that's that's the next uh, probably the next stage, and something that is going to happen more after all yeah. this 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 uh, coronavirus and the pandemic. Yeah. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we were we were talking about this interview, and we had this uh, discussion about the difference between uh, strategy on the one hand and planning and execution on the other and the way companies often when they think they're doing strategy they're actually doing planning and execution because they're activities that are that require a different kind of mindset so strategy is more creative and imagining the future and planning and execution is more 
saying what, what exactly I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it, by and who's going to do it. Do you see that contrast or that ten- tension manifest itself in your business activities? Yes, I think so, because, well, we're a very young company. So yeah. the strategy is there. We know what we want to do, but we're trying different tactics. Yeah. Um, we're on a learning mode, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you want. So um, we have to be, on, on the tactical side of it, we have to be always in learning mode. And mm-hmm. even in strategy, you have to question your strategy from time to time. Yeah. If your tactics are not getting you anywhere, you have to think things through your strategy as well. Yeah. Somebody described to me recently that um, you know, strategies may change, but what doesn't change or what shouldn't change are your, your values and your mission. Because um, if that's constant, you can try different strategies and laser different tactics. But that, if you like, then is the guiding force. Would you agree with that? I agree 100% with that. Excellent. <laughs> because a mission and, and goals that you have for your business, it's really what do you want to do? Uh, what, yeah. what do you want to apport to society and to the economy? What do you want to do with, uh, with your activity? Yeah, uh, that's your, something, that, that's your, something that you would like to talk about to your grandchildren, I suppose. Something that would be good. Yeah, yeah. your legacy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so as we, as we get towards the, uh, the, the, the end of the um, interview here, uh, just maybe ask you one or two questions uh, about yourself. So when you're not when you're not working or when you're not strategizing or when you're not developing tactics for your business, what kind of things do you like to do in your your spare time in your free time? Well, I enjoy a good wine. I enjoy a good book. I enjoy a good movie, like everyone yeah. else, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, time with the family, of course, that's number one be, before everything else. Um, but uh, on a daily basis, what I do for physical activity, for instance, I go to the gym and I lift weights for an hour, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. That's part of my therapy uh, where I can lose some stress uh, yeah. and, and feel exhausted and, and ready to, to, to have a good night of sleep. Good. And uh, lately, have you read anything lately, whether an article or a book um, that was inspirational in some way that you might recommend to listeners? Well, I, w- I would love to give you a, a good answer to that question, but lately all I've been is focused on coronavirus and, <laughs> coronavirus and how is it developing in this country and how many cases do they have there, that, that other country. South Korea, what happened there, China, you know. Yeah. Although I think this is, this is, this is um, the main, the main uh, interest of all of us right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I guess where, 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 where we are now, this will, this will uh, you know, we're recording this and this will broadcast in uh, maybe a, a week or so, but I think where we are now and today, there's some good figures coming through from, from Spain and from Germany and Italy that the, the fatalities, the rate is decreasing. So it seems that we are seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think so. The, this, I think it's too soon to, to be very optimistic though mm-hmm. uh, it's still I believe Spain didn't do large scale tests to the population and either Italy did it so I think we need that we yeah. need that to know exactly how many people were affected by the virus do they have antibodies do they don't have antibodies you know there's a lot of information that we need 
in order to be secure that it's not going to go up again or when is when are when is this lockdown going to end you know yes. that's the, yeah. that's the main question and how how is it going to be summer summertime this year this year will be totally different yeah well i guess i guess the end when it comes will be a gradual ending it won't be you know everything opens again it will be phased over weeks months perhaps i agree with you but i doubt that we'd have a huge concert a rock concert for instance this summer i really doubt no that. i don't i don't think so i don't think so <laughs> So um, just to finish then, where can people find out uh, more about about you and your businesses? Like so you have uh, w websites that people can visit for those businesses that you, um, uh, your, your icon business and your Connexol business? Yes, of course. Uh, anyone that wants to know more about Connexol can visit www.connexol.com. Mm -hmm. Anyone to, this is more for healthcare uh, related uh, issues. Uh, they want to know more about satellite data, they can visit Icon Group, uh, icon slash group.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-N, um, isn't it? E-Y-E-C-O-N. Yeah, exactly. E-Y-E-C-O-N. Um, and, uh, and my LinkedIn, of course. There you go. Excellent. Well, Miguel, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you as always. Uh, and pleasure I wish you the very mine, Patrick. <laughs> okay, and I wish you the very best for the future. Uh, personally and professionally and many many thanks for being here with us today likewise my pleasure and many thanks to you and hope thanks to all. see you soon yeah hopefully in the azores when uh, yeah. when the flights are back on or in ireland we never know oh in ireland yeah that, that works too probably more likely madrid what do you think yeah exactly <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> Thanks also to our listeners, and remember that if you'd like to find out more about globalization, international business, and how we can help you to formulate and implement business strategies for your business that deliver, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. This is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting. Goodbye and keep well. Until next time.